Psalm 37, verse 1 through 11. Fret not yourself because of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers, for they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord and trust in him, and he will act. And he will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out wicked devices. For the wicked will be cut off, but those who trust in the Lord will inherit the land. In just a little while, the wicked will be no more. Though you look at his place carefully, he will not be there. But the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. All right, you guys grab a seat. Wow, look at this. Just grab the strongest guys in here to move this thing. This is actually incredibly uh, heavy. I don't know if you guys have noticed that when people have tried to move it. It's surprising. But uh, hey, if you got a Bible, let's go Psalm 37. Psalm 37. Uh, we'll be there in just a second. Before we get there, though, uh, I wanted to give you a quick update. So uh, many of you know I have been uh, in the process of working with UNMC on getting a kidney transplant. And we just wanted to let you guys know that as of about a week ago, we have a donor and we have a surgery date on the calendar. So, yeah, we are very, very excited. So, um, actually, one of our best friends and a member here at the church, Alex Schultz, is going to be the donor for me. Uh, and we got a surgery date for July 28th. So in about two and a half weeks or so, uh, we're going to be going in and doing the transplant. So uh, thank you guys for praying and all of your support. We are overjoyed and excited. Um, two quick things that I would ask just for you guys to be praying for even the next couple weeks. Um, number one, if you would just pray for a healthy surgery. Uh, just pray for both myself that the kidney would take, that my body would accept it. Um, pray for Alex that the surgery would go well, and then just our families. It's a, a massive surgery with a big recovery time, and so just pray for us as we get uh, toward that date. Uh, the second thing, though, would you just pray, uh, you know, so the surgery's end of July, which means I will be out for August and maybe September or part of September, and so if you don't see me around, that's why. Uh, I'll be gone for a little while. Um, but, you know, over the last few months, our elders, our staff team, they've done an unbelievable job in stepping in um, to lead and pick up a lot of the slack uh, from my absence. And so um, that's going to be even more prevalent over the next, you know, six, eight weeks as I'm completely out. So just pray for our church, pray for our leaders as they kind of pick up some slack there, um, just that we'd be able to, to kind of endure this season. And then obviously my hope and my desire is that, you know, come September, October, I'll be back in ready to go, kind of back in the life of the church. So um, thank you guys for praying, for all of your support. Um, yeah, and just keep praying over the next couple weeks. So we'll give some updates as it gets closer. Uh, and then obviously as the surgery happens, we'll keep you updated. But uh, let's just pray right now. I want to pray just in thanksgiving to the Lord, and then we'll pray for our time this morning in Psalm 37. Uh, Father, we are so grateful we're so grateful that you are a provider. As we sang before, uh, great is thy faithfulness. You have provided all that we need. 
And Lord, you have uh, shown me personally, I know that you've worked this in, in my life through even people in our church just to see your faithfulness in the midst of hard times. As we sing, even when it feels like we want something different, you always provide at just the right time. You are faithful. God. And so we're grateful for that. We're grateful that you provide. Um, I'm grateful that you provided Alex just in, in selflessly willing to, to give up an organ so that I may live. Uh, it is just such a, an act of humility and love. And so, God, I'm grateful for him. I'm grateful for our church family. Um, God, would you just be with us? We pray now as we head into Psalm 37 that you would speak to us. You gather us every Sunday so that you can speak to us, so that you can lead us, so that your spirit can actually move and help us become more like you. So we pray now, would you give us sharp minds and soft hearts as we come to Psalm 37, that your spirit and your word would actually change us, that we would leave here a little bit more like you, with, with hearts that worship you a little bit more, with a little bit more insight into who you are and what you would have for us. So would you do this all? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Psalm 37. Let's begin by looking at just the first verse. This kind of will set the stage for us this morning. Psalm 37.1 Fret not yourself because of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers. You know, one of the reasons that the Psalms are necessary for the church today is because they cover all human experiences. Uh, the Psalms are, in some sense, a, a prayer book that guides the people of God through any circumstance in life. Did you know that? And that, that's actually really good news, right? So think about it for a second. Anything or any life circumstance that comes at you, in principle or broadly speaking, there is a psalm that will actually guide you through that, that will help give you a prayer for that moment, that will help give you some wisdom for that moment. The Psalms are necessary because they take the human experiences of life and they actually help give us some guidance. And this morning, the, the life circumstance that Psalm 37 is going to speak into is the circumstance of envy. Do you hear that in verse 1? The, the call for the people of God is not to be envious of evildoers. Now the word envy, um, kind of biblically speaking, when it's used uh, either in the New Testament or Old Testament, that idea of envy or kind of a form of like jealousy is, is basically to have uh, negative emotions or feelings towards somebody, usually based on an accomplishment that they have, something that they have that you don't have, or something that they don't have that you do have that you don't want to have, right? It's like this comparison game where you see somebody else's life and you have these kind of this ill will towards them. There's this kind of negative feeling as you compare your life to another. So I want you to think this morning, maybe of a time where you have felt envious. And specifically, what we're going to see in our psalm this morning is that I want you to think of a time where you were envious of somebody who maybe doesn't follow Jesus. Because the psalm is going to specifically talk about people that aren't a part of the people of God, people that don't follow Jesus. So think, have you ever been envious of someone who's not following Jesus, but you look at their way of life, 
how they've prospered in life, how they seem to get a lot of breaks in life, how they don't really struggle as much as your life, and you grow this sense of envy in them. Maybe a, a coworker who you started at the exact same time, and, and they've been a little bit unethical, and they've cut corners, and they haven't treated people super well, and they kind of pass blame to everybody, but somehow they've gotten the raise, they've gotten the promotion, you didn't. Or maybe you've had some friends for decades now, and it seems like they just consistently got the breaks. They, they kept getting launched in their career. They got the vacation homes, everything that's great, and you kind of look at their life and you grow a little bit envious. Uh, maybe a, a couple that you know, that they're not married, they didn't want a kid, but they slept together, and all of a sudden, bam, they're pregnant. Meanwhile, you and your spouse have been trying to get pregnant for months or maybe years and you've never gotten pregnant. Or maybe you're single and you have another friend who, uh, man, they just, they, they're from relationship to relationship, they're sleeping around, they don't treat the opposite sex with very much respect, but somehow they're always in relationships, they always seem happy, yet you're trying to be holy and pure, but you never really seem to get noticed. Right? Life is full of scenarios where we can look at other people, especially people that aren't following Jesus, and you can start to compare your life to theirs and begin to grow envious. But I think if most of us are honest, um, most of us don't usually categorize envy as a massive sin. Right? So, so I can name some scenarios pretty easily, and we can think, yeah, I, I, I've grown envious of people. And I know I'm speaking experientially here, but, but it's rare that I actually hear from people, or even in myself, this like deep sense of heartbreak, this like godly grief over envy. Right? I mean, most of us, it, it's a common occurrence, and it's a rare confession, Right? Like we rarely confess envy because we kind of think envy's not that big a deal. Like it's not really hurting anybody. Everybody's a little bit envious. Like it, it's really not that bad. And so to, to kind of help show you why this is so severe, why we need Psalm 37, let me give you three verses in the Bible on envy. And I just want you to hear the severity of envy in the people of God. Uh, the first one, Proverbs 14, verse 30. A tranquil heart gives life to the flesh, but envy makes the bones rot. Uh, Proverbs 6.34. For jealousy, again, it's similar to envy here. For jealousy makes a man furious, and he will not spare when he takes revenge. Or James 3, last one. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. Church, envy is not a little sin. It's not, it's not a, 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 we often think it's like this pet sin that you can kind of keep on a leash and it's like not that big a deal and it's kind of there, but it doesn't really matter. It doesn't really affect you. No, the Bible says envy will make your bones rot. 
It will poison you from the inside. It leads to sin. It says it's demonic. It's of the world. And it leads to death. Therefore, we need Psalm 37 this morning. Because if we all struggle with envy, but most of us don't really see it as a big deal, we need to hear this morning, not only that it's a big deal, but also that Christ can actually help us conquer envy. That we can actually find victory through it. So that's what we're going to do in Psalm 37. Now, let me just uh, share how we're going to do this is Psalm 37 is pretty long. So even Josh, he just recited the first 11 verses of it. it. It's long and it actually reads more like Proverbs than it does a poem. Right? So most of the Psalms are these poems that kind of have a flow to them. Well, Psalm 37 is more like Proverbs. You'll notice it's like a few verses at a time in these little like wise sayings, basically. So what we're going to do is we're going to look at three ways to fight envy. And I'm just going to kind of pull out some of these verses to kind of show you these three ways. All right. So this is going to be kind of our, our battle strategy. All right? This is our war strategy. All right? We need to fight envy. How do we do that? These three ways. Okay, first, we need to adjust our expectations. Second, we need to adjust our eyes. And third, we need to adjust our lives. All right, so if we want to be a people that fight envy, we actually like, if you got envy, like you can sense that it's like growing roots in your heart, we need to uproot that this morning. And we're going to do that through adjusting our expectations, our eyes, and our lives. So, first one. Adjust our expectations. Uh, the cause of envy, like I said before, many times is that we will often compare our lives, so we will believe that we deserve something, or we believe that we, we need something, and we look at somebody else's life who either has that thing or has experienced that thing, and we grow envious inside. Most times it's just a comparison game. It's me looking at my life thinking I deserve something I don't have or I don't deserve something I do have and you look around and you see other people that have that thing and so envy begins to build up in us. And what the psalmist is going to say is our first step here to fight envy is actually adjusting our expectations of life in this world. Now here's what I mean by that. Uh, To start, let me just get you thinking a little bit. So I want you to reflect for a moment. If you have ever either subtly or maybe strongly believed that when you became a Christian, or maybe because you are a Christian, that life should just be a little easier for you, or that people should appreciate that about you. I want you to think, have you ever subtly or strongly believed that, well, because I'm a Christian, I thought life was going to either go a little bit easier than this, or that people should actually appreciate that about me, that I am a Christian? See, most of us in this room, I think, we would outwardly, we would reject the idea of the prosperity gospel. We would say, we don't hold to that, we don't believe in that. But I think a lot of us can actually have these subtle hints of it in our understanding of how we think the Christian life should go. Uh, Maybe another way to attack that might be is, I want you to think of a scenario where maybe um, you've gotten sick, 
or you've gotten some bad news, or you had something hard happen to you, or maybe um, somebody at work or some friends, they kind of attacked you for your Christian belief, or they, they've said that you were um, not learned, and you, you know, were homophobic, or you were uh, whatever else, right? You have all these things, and you're kind of attacked for your Christian morals or belief, or just in general, maybe hard things have kind of hit you. I want you to think of if you had the thought, wait, why would this be happening to me? Right? Does that immediately start to go through your mind? Like, wait, wait, why am I struggling with this? Or why do they not like me? Because what that shows is a subtle hint that, oh, I think the Christian life means prosperity and ease and everybody's going to love me. Right? We, we would outwardly deny this, but, but really we can have these subtle hints of prosperity expectations. And David is going to say this morning, our author here of the psalm, is that if that's your expectation, that is going to lead to envy. Because if you expect to prosper and you don't, yet you see people that don't follow Jesus actually prospering, what's the only thing your heart's going to do? Well, you're going to grow envious of their life not being like yours. So instead, what the psalmist is going to do, he's going to say, hey, we've got to readjust our expectations a little bit about what life's going to be like. So let me show you just a few verses. I'm going to pull out, I think there's four different verses that we'll look at. So just start to notice the theme of like the expectation of what life is going to be like in this world. All right, look at Psalm 37, verse 7. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for Him. Fret not yourself. That phrase, you'll see it all over this psalm. It just means don't worry about this. Don't, don't fret about this in your life. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. Verse 12. The wicked plots against the righteous and gnashes his teeth at him. Verse 14. The wicked draw the sword and bend their bows to bring down the poor and needy to slay those whose way is upright. Last one, verse 32. The wicked watches for the righteous and seeks to put him to death. So here, if you're going to put a lot of these verses together, what the psalmist is trying to help us see is that situations where the, the wicked, or that, that phrase is basically just meaning people who aren't a part of the people of God. So people who aren't following God, when they prosper, or when they may not be applauding the church or the people of God or being for you, he said, that's, that's not unusual. That's not the anomaly. In reality, that's actually common. Like that needs to be kind of our default understanding of the world. And in our fight against envy, our expectations for what life needs to look like needs to be a little bit adjusted more toward that in order that we can actually conquer this sin. Uh, here's how Jesus puts this. John 15, verses 18 and 19. This is Jesus saying, If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. So here's what he's saying. You put the psalm and this together. He's saying the expectation for the church cannot be that life is going to be easy and that the world or culture is just going to always be on our side 
and for us. He said, look, the reason that the wicked or, or the people of the world prosper in the world is because they're of the world. He said, this is their home. This is, they, they prosper because this is where they are. You aren't. He says, I chose you out of the world. You're not of the world. Therefore, don't be surprised when there's some tension there in this life. He's trying to readjust our expectations a little bit. Uh, maybe to think about this a totally different way. So let's just kind of shift gears a little bit. I want you to consider um, Jackie Robinson. Okay, so I don't know if any of you are, are baseball fans, but Jackie Robinson, uh, he was the, the first African-American man that broke the color barrier in Major League Baseball. So he's the first man that played in Major League Baseball. Now I want you to think, was it right and good for Jackie Robinson to break the color barrier and play professional baseball? Absolutely. Right? Now, was it the right thing that he was doing? Was it a good thing that he was doing? A hundred percent. Did it bring him ease and comfort, celebration, and everybody applauding him and cheering him on? Absolutely not. Just because it was the right thing did not mean that everybody was on board with the thing that he was doing. In fact, it was just the opposite. People hated him. People opposed him. People attacked him. People made his life miserable. Because going against the norm will usually bring difficulties. We have to understand as the people of God that our world, it's, it's broken. It's not moving toward God. And so if you choose to follow Him, people aren't going to line up and just pat you on the back. If you choose to live by His morals, people aren't necessarily going to be impressed. If you choose to follow God's standards, don't be surprised when people don't like that. It's like everything's going this way and you're trying to go upstream. Don't be surprised when there's a little bit of resistance. That's what the psalmist is trying to say. And that's true of David and that's true of the people of God historically. And we could just list the number of people. David himself, you think about his life, he lived as a man after God's own heart and for most of his early life he was persecuted. The prophets in the Old Testament, they suffered because of their ministry to the Lord. Jesus Himself came and died because of His obedience to the Father. The apostles, the early church, many around the world today are suffering as Christians in a world that doesn't like the message of Jesus. Church, we cannot be surprised when we look and see other people prospering and us having this conflict or tension. Our expectations have to first be set. That is what it means to be in the world but not of the world. That's got to be our expectation. Now, the psalmist is going to move on. He's going to say, okay, if we understand that that's going to be a reality, okay, the second thing we need to do, well, what do we actually do when we face that situation? Instead of growing envious, the psalmist is going to say, we need to adjust our eyes. And specifically what I mean by that is he's going to say, we need to get our eyes on the future. You need to remember the end, he says. Now, that's kind of, I think, the heart of this psalm. If you just read through the 40 verses, the heart of it is getting the people of God to remember the end. So it's littered throughout. But there is one phrase or one kind of rhythm that's repeated five times. The exact same thing is kind of repeated five different times. So let me just show you those five verses. This kind of sums up how David's going to tell us to look at the future. 
So here's five verses. Notice how it talks about the wicked or the people who don't follow God and the righteous, the people who are in God. Look at these five verses. Verse 9. For the evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. Verses 10 and 11. In just a little while, the wicked will be no more. Though you look carefully at his place, he will not be there. But the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. Verse 22. For those blessed by the Lord shall inherit the land, but those cursed by Him shall be cut off. 28 and 29. For the Lord loves justice. He will not forsake His saints. They are preserved forever, but the children of the wicked shall be cut off. The righteous shall inherit the land and dwell upon it forever. Last one. Verse 34. Wait for the Lord and keep His way, and He will exalt you to inherit the land. You will look on when the wicked are cut off. Alright, so five times we get this similar rhythm here. So he says, when we're tempted to be envious of the wicked prospering and your life is not going how you thought, he says, here's what you need to do. You need to adjust your eyes and remember the end. He said there's two outcomes here for all people. For those who don't follow God, the outcome is that they will be cut off. He says there will be no more. There's going to be judgment and destruction and wrath. For those who are considered righteous or in God, the people of God, they will inherit the land. Now that that first one, that kind of makes sense, right? We talk about that a lot. It's the idea that if, if... you don't follow God, you are dead in your sin and will have to pay the penalty for those sins. But I want us to think about what does it mean for the righteous, the people of God, to inherit the land? Well, one option is that this is Old Testament, right? So in the Old Testament, just think, okay, what does it usually mean when we talk about the land in the Old Testament? Well, for, for a lot of times, it, it's talking about the, the promised land, right? The land of Canaan. It's this little patch of land in the Middle East. So could that be what he's talking about? He's talking about Israel. Okay, you're going to get this land in the Middle East. Well, I, I don't think that's right because when David is writing this, so he's writing this, and he's talking about the future, and he's saying, hey, remember, guys, we will inherit the land one day. If you know your timeline, David's actually already in the land. They've already taken the land. So it's there. So it can't really be that land that he's talking about. So what land is he referring to? I think it is right to say that David, as well as other Old Testament believers in God, were longing not for an earthly land, but for a heavenly, eternal land. David here is saying when we face these hardships in life, or when we fear, or when we face this envy, we need to remember a heavenly home that is prepared for us. Now here's one reason why I think that. If you think I'm crazy and just pulling this out, let me prove it to you. Um, and this is just one way. This is the quickest way, basically. So you're welcome. So let me just show you one thing. Look at, think about Hebrews 11. All right, you can flip there in your Bible if you want to. Otherwise, I'll throw it on the screen in a minute. But Hebrews 11, it's talking about Abraham. 
All right, now if anybody's thinking about the earthly land, it's Abraham, because he was the initial one that this was promised to. So he and his descendants were promised, you are going to get this earthly land. But Hebrews 11 verse 10 says this, For he, that is Abraham, was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. Okay, so Abraham has promised you're going to get this land in the Middle East here. That's going to be yours. But this says he was looking to something greater. He was looking to a place designed by God. So what is that? Well, if you go down to verse 16, it says this. But as it is, they, that's Abraham and his family, desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. So this is saying, look, when Abraham was promised this land, he actually was looking forward past that to an even greater land, to an even greater place where this land on earth was supposed to be a a shadow. It's a picture of God dwelling with his people. But this says Abraham knew that there's actually something greater coming. That while here on earth we can dwell with God in part, there is a city, a place that God is building where we will dwell with God forever in full. And this was saying that when things were hard, what do the people of God need to look for? We need to look for that land, for that time, for that place when we actually dwell with God forever. And that's what David is saying here in Psalm 37. He's saying if you want to fight envy now as the people of God, we need to remember our eternal home. So let me, let me bring that down. All right, so that's kind of the idea and the theory. Let's get this really practical. So church, fight envy by fixating on eternity. Okay, that's our, that's our war strategy. That If we're going to boil everything down in this sermon, fight envy by fixating on eternity. The psalmist is going to say, you've got to get your eyes. So when I'm saying eyes, what I'm talking about, we use this language sometimes. I'm saying, get the, so our eyes, it's what we focus on. It's what we meditate on. It's the things we stare at. It's what we love, right? He's saying, get your eyes off of the world and get them towards eternity. And I think this makes sense to us, right? Because if our eyes are always focused on the world, if you are always staring at if you're enthralled with, fascinated by, and desiring the things of the world, then when you don't get something in the world that you want, what are you going to do? You're going to be envious of the people that have it because that's the things you love. That's the things you're staring at. David is saying, hey, get your eyes up. Like when you're facing that situation, get your eyes on eternity. He's saying, remember eternity get your eyes on Christ and everything that he has bought you with his blood and this eternal home that he is taking you to David's pleading with us if your eyes are focused on eternity he's saying look you may not get things in this life or the wicked may prosper and you may not and you know what you can say that's okay because look where I'm going right like look at the end of eternity And I'm not trying to belittle the things of this world. As the church, we should enjoy the things of this world, but eternity puts them into perspective. Because these great things that we get to enjoy here are still only temporal things to the fact of our eternal home with God because of Christ. Church, it is eternity that will actually kill the sin of envy. 
If you feel that growing in your heart, just you're, you're envious of people, you sense that in your relationships, David's going to plead with you, get your eyes on eternity. Focus on your eternal home. And this is not just David. This is the people of God and what their encouragement is for us. Uh, consider Jesus. How did Jesus endure the cross, the, the, his betrayal when he was beaten and he was killed on the cross? How did he do it? Hebrews 12.2 says he endured the cross for the joy that was set before him. He was looking forward to the eternal redemptive plan of God to save a people by his blood and he endured hardship here on earth. Uh, the apostle Peter when he was imprisoned, he was eventually killed for his faith. How did he endure? How did he encourage suffering Christians to endure? He says this in 1 Peter 1.4, Remember you are called to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. He's saying, Christians, get your eyes up. Uh, the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 4, he's speaking about enduring hardships and suffering in life. And he says, for this light, momentary affliction. You imagine whatever suffering and hardship you're going through, he says, this is bold. He said, this is a light and momentary affliction. How can he say that? Because that affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. See, we always compare with each other. We, can, we get envious because we compare ourselves with other people. He's saying, hey, compare this light momentary affliction with eternal bliss. That's the comparison game we should play. And he said, get your eyes. Here's the eyes thing. He says, look to the things not that are seen, but the things that are unseen. What is he saying? Get your eyes on eternity. Or even consider a more modern example. Um, if you think of African-American Christians who um, were, were going through slavery in our country, uh, we have this like, group of songs that we call like the African-American spirituals or gospel songs that were written in that time. If you notice, you read through some of those songs, you want to know what one of the prevailing themes is? The hope of heaven. Because they knew when they were struggling and suffering, that they had a hope. I mean, it's over and over again. Jesus is coming to take me home. I mean, it's the refrain in all of these songs. Because for the people of God, when we need to fight not to grow envious, we've got to fight to get our eyes on eternity. So let me, before we get to our final step here, let me give you just a one quick practical thing on this point. Um, a couple of years ago, I started doing this thing where uh, in my phone... I will set reminders, and now it's varied from three, four, five, six different times during the day. I think right now there's like five. Five different reminders in my phone every few hours to get my eyes up. So literally every couple hours there's a, a reminder that will go off on my device that will say, read something, meditate on, on something about God, read something in the Word, or pray. And you know why I need that? Because I'm a foolish, sinful man. And I know that a 20-minute quiet time in the morning, well, that's great, that if I'm staring at the Bible for 20 minutes, and I'm staring at the world for 23 hours and 40 minutes of my day, right, if that's happening, I will grow envious. I will love the world more than I love God. I mean, it's just practical math. You think of God for 20 minutes and the world for the rest of your day, there's no way my heart's going to be centered around God. So i got to set a reminder, literally, like, i got one right when I wake up, 
mid-morning, noon, afternoon, night, like literally just every few hours, it's telling me, hey, Andrew, get your eyes up, right? Like get something. And I will literally, I have done this before. I'll read something in the Bible and I will literally get my eyes up. Like I will look up. Now, that might be weird. You don't have to do that. There's nothing magical. But like, I'm just saying, like I'm literally trying to train my body Get your eyes on eternity. Focus on Christ. Get the Bible and God as my worldview so that my life is not filled with trying to accumulate the things of the world or growing envious and comparing myself with people, but I'm actually getting my eyes on eternity. So I want to just recommend to you, get things on your phone. Do whatever you've got to do. Get your eyes repeatedly throughout the day for two minutes. Just say a prayer. Just get your eyes on eternity. Think about Christ and that will help us in our fight of envy. All right, last point. This one will be pretty quick. Um, so he's going to talk about, he's talked about um, adjusting our expectations, right? The life is going to be filled with tension and some conflict here. We fight envy by adjusting our eyes. We get our eyes on heaven. The final step that he's going to talk about is how that should adjust our lives day to day. If you read through the psalm, it's not just, okay, focus on the end, but it's actually now, there's things to do here in our life today. Uh, C.S. Lewis once uh, wrote that Christians will often get critiqued because they say that if you think about heaven too much, you'll be of no earthly good. Lewis said, it's actually just the opposite. It's those who think of the next life who will do the most good in this life. And I think that's exactly right, and I think that's exactly the point of this psalm. What he's going to say is when you focus on eternity, that actually will radically shape how you live today. Because if you're sitting there thinking, I have every spiritual blessing in Christ, I have eternity to be with Christ, I am receiving everything I didn't deserve in Christ for eternity, you know what that means in this life? I don't have to go around trying to accumulate all these little things. I am free to give of myself to, to anything and everybody. Like I can pour myself out here because I have eternity coming to me and where I get to receive the goodness and glory of God. So my life today can actually be marked by honor and worship of God and a love of other people. Because I'm not looking to acquire things. I'm looking to give whatever I've got because I have eternity. And so what the psalmist is going to do is he's going to sprinkle these things in throughout the psalm where he's going to kind of push us. Hey, this should affect how you live. Here's how this affects your life. So um, what I'm going to do is I'm going to give uh, four different verses, four little quick thoughts on how this might shape our lives this week. And here's what I would say for you. Don't try to grab all four and say, I'm going to do all four of these or I need to adjust all four of these. Um, let's just say a quick prayer. Lord, would you speak to us and give us one thing? Right? If you need to do that, just say, Lord, would you give me one thing here? Maybe bring one scenario to mind where I can actually adjust in this one area, just a, a step in this different direction because my eyes are on eternity. So here's the four things. Uh, verse 3. <clears throat> Read this with me. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Okay, so I think some of us in the room today might need to hear that instead of being envious and wishing ill on people, that that scenario that's coming to mind right now, that you actually, your step is you need to just entrust that to the Lord. 
You need to actually give that to the Lord. Because oftentimes when we grow envious of people, we're trying to, to figure out a situation, to kind of control a situation, to try and, um, you know, we get kind of all this tension and conflict in a relationship. Some of us, if that scenario is coming to your mind, you actually just need to hand that to the Lord. It says just trust in the Lord. What do you do? How do you actually live? You do good. You befriend faithfulness. I love, I've loved that phrase this week. You know how sometimes like best friends, you think of maybe two people that are best friends and they're just so similar. They, like, they're just like intertwined. Their whole lives are intertwined and you can't even tell one from apart from the other. That's what we should do to faithfulness. Befriend it. Make it your best friend. Make it so that when I think of you, I think of faithfulness. It's synonymous. He says you just do good be a faithful presence in the world. And when you have situations that cause tension and conflict, you trust that to the Lord. Right, so some of us, I think, you may have scenarios where you actually just need to trust the Lord and you just need to continue to do good. Don't compromise on holiness to try to get worldly prosperity. You need to just trust that to the Lord. You do good. You be faithful. Number two, look at verses 23 and 24. The steps of a man are established by the Lord when he delights in his way. Though he fall, he shall not be cast headlong, for the Lord upholds his hand. Okay, this one's similar, but here's the nuance maybe for some of you in the room today. Some of us in these situations where we are not prospering, where we are facing hardships, where we are really struggling in something, we need to actually trust the sovereignty of God in our life. Notice this. When we delight in the Lord, it says our steps, they're established by the Lord. That means everything. He's the ground upon which we're walking. So when you are walking upright and life is great, or when you fall, it says, we need to trust that everything is by the sovereign hand of the Lord. And we can actually delight in that. Because that means that no matter the circumstance in life, He is there. He is sovereign. And you notice that it says here, at the very end it says, and he upholds you. It doesn't matter if it feels like you're falling and life is struggling or you feel strong, it is the Lord that upholds you. It's the Lord who is sovereign in your life. So you can actually be free of control. You can be free of trying to figure everything out. You can actually just delight in the Lord because he's good and he's sovereign and he will actually be with you and upholds you. And I think some of us need to remember that this morning. That he's sovereign. I get to delight in him and trust him to uphold me. Number three, verse 27. Turn away from evil and do good so you shall dwell forever. Okay, so for some, it's not necessarily that you need to, to guard yourself from, from compromising and walking away. For some, maybe you've actually already done that. Right? Maybe it's been weeks or months where you've been walking in sin. You have kind of abandoned the Lord. Maybe that envy has grown so strong in your heart that you have actually just continued to walk in sin for a long time now. And the psalmist is going to say, when your eyes are set on eternity, some of you, the actual call this morning is simply repent from evil, repent from sin, and actually come back to the Lord. And maybe for some of you, you're actually in the camp uh, where you've never actually come to the Lord. You are, are not a part of the people of God that the psalm's talking to, but you've been a part of walking away from the Lord. And the call for you this morning from the psalm is 
turn from evil, turn from your sins, and come to Christ. Christian, if you have been walking slowly away from the Lord, you feel like you're kind of hanging on by a spiritual thread, the call for you this morning is repent and come to the Lord. He says, fix your eyes on eternity because you are dwelling there forever. That is your eternal home and your life should actually be marked by that. For some of you, there might be a scenario in your mind where you know you need to actually confess, repent, and begin walking with the Lord. Last one, uh, number four, verses 30 and 31. The mouth of the righteous utters wisdom, and his tongue speaks justice. The law of his God is in his heart, and his steps do not slip. And that would be great to, to characterize yourself, right? Like, your mouth speaks wisdom, you seek justice, the law of God, his way, his will is in your heart, and your steps do not slip, they're established. Some of us this morning, I think, if we want that to be true of us, you want to be a person of wisdom and justice and truth, you want the law of God in your heart, you want to, you want to walk in his way, some of us this morning need to recommit ourselves to the word of God. And here's why I say that. You, you want to speak wisdom? You want to speak justice? You want to know what true justice and truth is? You want, to, you want to have the law of God deep in your heart? We actually have to know that through His Word. This is what He's given us to actually know wisdom, know truth, to, to establish our path. And for some of us, we've abandoned the Word of God. We've abandoned it because we felt like it was boring because we didn't know how to read it, we didn't know how to understand it, and we're trying to figure out wisdom and life experiences and guidance in this world without the very tool that God has given us to actually guide us. And so some of us today need to actually recommit to the Word of God, getting it deep inside your soul so that what comes out of your mouth, what guides your steps, is the Word and will of God. Uh, Let me end this way. Martin Luther, who's a, a famous reformer, Uh, He said that there's two days on my calendar, two days that are important. He said, this day and that day. He said, what what he meant by that was, he said, I focus on that day, right? It's getting his eyes on eternity. He said, that day when I will experience Christ fully, when I actually get to see him, when I'm dwelling with him, I focus on that day. And the only other day that's important is how that day impacts this day. That when we can focus on eternity, it will shape and shift everything about how we live today. That's what he said. That's what the psalmist is saying. And that's my prayer for us. We would actually get our eyes consistently up knowing that that is our home. We would see that that is where we are going and that that would actually free us as a people. Not to grow envious, not to compare with other people, but to actually give ourselves to others because we know we receive everything in Christ. Let's pray. Jesus, um, we are so grateful for you. We're grateful for the work that you have done. God, we're grateful that no matter what, um, God, we know that if we are in Christ, that our sins have been forgiven, we have been washed clean, and that we have a promise of eternity. God, would you help our eyes get there? Would you help us to love and desire the things of eternity more than the things of the world? Just help me, maybe if our hands are clinging to something right now in the world, if our eyes are so fixed on it, would you free us of that in this very moment? 
Spirit of God, would you work in us as a church together, but also as individuals? If there's something in someone's life today, God, would you just free them of that? Would you just get our eyes on the beauty of eternity, knowing that through all of the ups and the downs, through the celebrations and the hardships of life, that you are carrying us through. I love that you say you will uphold us. God, we're trusting in that. We're relying on you to do that. So God, would you continue to do that? We're so grateful for all that you've done. We're grateful that you have saved us and redeemed us and that the promise is that we will get to be with you forever. Would you help that to shape not only the freedom that we would feel of envy and jealousy and comparison, but help us then become a loving sac- or self-sacrificial people that because we have everything in you for eternity, we can be free to give here. God, would you do that now? I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above the heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Ah. Uh...